Hi guys, this is Maritza from Best of Both Maris, and I have here my co-host Marisol. Happy Monday, March 8th, or whenever you guys are tuning in, listening to us in the week. It's also International Women's Day today. We just wanted to um, point that out, and Marisol, do you have anyone that you want to highlight today, or anyone that you're reminded of on International Women's Day? You know, I never really used to, like, I didn't really know when International Women's Day was until a few years ago. Something that did come to mind today while I was, like, scrolling through the gram um, was still how much oppression we face as women. I don't want to take away from the fact that today is the way that, a day that we should honor and empower each other, support each other, and highlight all the reasons why, all the reasons why, and what makes us strong as women. Um, but I can't help but think about those things. Like, just because we get a day, just because we have a day, doesn't mean like everything we we're going through still is gone. Mm-hmm. You know, and I and I. Wish there was a way that we can acknowledge both without raining on the parade, you know, because I did see the reason why I'm mentioning this is because I saw a post um, about the femicide, femicidio, (laughs) that happens in like Mexico, for example, but in other countries, you know, that we've seen. So I feel like that's something that comes to mind. So like putting it into perspective, that is a good point because yeah, like you want to show that we're empowering women, but also, hey, Mm -hmm. let's bring light to what women go through. Yeah. And I think that's the way I honor. I honor it. It's all rainbows and butterflies. Mm -hmm. But honestly, I kind of do want to get into that because I'm actually highlighting someone that's important in history. Um, that was part of science research and which I'm going to be able to work on that right now with the program I'm doing um, with Mm y'all. So I decided to do a five-minute talk on an African-American woman um, by the name of Henrietta Lacks. I might be pronouncing Mm -hmm. her name wrong, but I don't know if you've, have you heard of her? You've mentioned to her, you've mentioned her to me before. Yes. So I read a book. I still haven't finished it about what she did in science, but basically back in the 1950s, she went to see a doctor at Harvard and they diagnosed her with cervical cancer, but the, the doctors um, that treated her, just to summarize it, took her cells after she died and didn't tell her or her family, which created you know the whole ethical guidelines of telling patients that they're using their information but mm-hmm. even something even bigger her cells so it's just crazy because her cells created like the polio vaccine with the research that they did because they used her cells to grow them outside mm-hmm. like in labs to find yeah. more findings with other viruses and they did use her cells for COVID-19 findings too mm-hmm to see how it spreads, which is crazy because think think of that. 
from the 1950s to now 2020 wow. 2021 and Dang, it's a long time. also just talk about how the family had no idea like what do you mean like what do you mean my uh my mom my my wife is out there living in cells like no one mm -hmm. ever told us that that's just crazy and I didn't know about this till last year I think I found the book like in the summer of 2020 but yeah I know that it's just something that not a lot of people know about and who knows if there's other patients that went through something like that that haven't been talked about either you know that we don't know about but it's just something that I wanted to bring up um it is sad how they were how they mistreated her and her family by doing that and seeing how much of an impact her cells made so I just want to shed some light on her and hopefully people can look into more about her story because it's important yeah, and didn't you also mention, like, the family isn't being compensated for any of this while the people that are doing this are somewhat profiting from it? Yeah, I, I think, um, I don't know if I did, but the author that went to interview the families, they were saying that they, they haven't been, but... I did recently see a post. Um, I just forgot the page. It was on Instagram. Someone had, it was a talk with her granddaughter, I believe, or her great granddaughter. And I had just missed it by like a week. So I want to look more into that to see what their family has been compensated with now, you know, over the years, if there has been any type of compensation or what they're doing to you know honor them what are they doing I know there's a foundation for her um I don't want to get too much into it I don't know everything either so I just wanted to talk a little bit about it but it is pretty crazy yeah, yeah. and I think that's where I was going with um in terms of saying that I don't want to like bring up these things like I don't want it to always be like oh, we're continuing to face all this oppression without highlighting the progress we've made. But I also feel like, yeah, we've, we've made progress, but we should continue to strive for more. And we should be in a way better place than what we are if people continue to uplift the voices of women. Because I feel like sometimes these issues are ignored and we need to put women at the, at the front lines um, and uplift their voices and let them create the change. Now we're going to transition to talking about our stories and our journey. Um, so that's what today's episode is going to consist of. I know um, me and Marissa have known each other for a while now, but we've never really gotten to know like our about our childhood experiences, our upbringing, our high school experiences, college experiences, life after undergrad. Um, but more from the perspective of being women of color living in the Central Valley, in California Central Valley. Um, yeah, so I think a good place to start is me and Marissa have, one of the many things that we have in common is that we're both, um, we, our second language is English. 
so we grew up speaking Spanish and we grew up having only knowing Spanish until we started um, K through 12. And then that's when we had to learn English. I know for myself, I started learning English. I knew English, but like the basics, como like, hello, how are you? My name is Marisol. Like those types yeah, of things. Innocent time. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Pero nada de que, like, the hello, how are you? My name is, I am eight years old type of thing. Like, um, I am Mexican, you know, type of things like that. Pero nada de que, like, I could have a whole conversation. I'd be like, hey, que me estoy diciendo? Um, until I got to Visalia, that I basically, like, I will, like, I had no choice porque aquí las maestras, they didn't even know how to communicate with me. Um, so anyways, I, that's where we're going to get started. Um, I know that this is a story that we have talked about, like, how we grew up speaking English as a second language. Um, and I remember this is one of the first stories Marissa told me when we met each other about how she always had, like, you know, we both had trouble, like, saying certain words in English to this day. Yeah, I totally relate with her saying that I choose to say certain words or sometimes I'll skip them and I'm like, or I'll just read it. Then we read it and I'm like, if I said it right, I said it right. If I said it wrong, I don't really mm. care. <laughs> um Y'all know what I'm talking about. Tú sabes lo que estoy diciendo. You know how our moms will say that, like, pues me entendiste, like, that's... Me entendiste, yeah. Pues tú sabes. Tú sabes a qué me refiero. But that <laughs> is the story I wanted to talk to y'all about. So I didn't learn official English since fourth grade. And I say official. Um, this is something that I'm also training with Marisol that I don't think I've told her about before. Um, but in elementary school... We had a program where it was bilingual, so we had English and Spanish. But mm -hmm. honestly, they did not focus on English. So shout out to my teachers because I'm honestly, I'm honestly um, thankful for that. Because if it wasn't for the classes being all in Spanish, then I wouldn't have learned how to read and write in Spanish. Um, but it wasn't until fourth grade, I believe that's when the program got cut off. Um, jokes on them, we didn't learn English, we were just... We were just uh, vibing with Spanish, with our cultura. Um, fourth grade, I was upset, honestly, like thinking about that. I was young and it's like, really, we're not going to speak Spanish anymore. My world is different now. How am I supposed to switch from all Spanish to English? So it was weird. And um, yeah, we, I learned English in fourth grade or maybe after that. But I was telling Marisol that I, when I first moved to the U.S., because um, I was born in Bakersfield, but then I lived in Mexico for a little bit too. And then I came back and then we went to like Indiana. So this is a little story about my life too. Mm -hmm. And then we settled in Fresno. Um, so we've been here the longest. I love it. Yeah. You had never mentioned to me the whole, you were in like a bilingual classroom. Because that's something else we have in common. I was also, when I was living um, in LA or LA County, um, the school I went to, and I do not know, because now that I think about it, I looked it up. But back in the day, they had programs where they were like dual immersion, so where they taught you two languages. And always, to this day, literally up until probably last October, 
I thought I was in a dual immersion program. But then I did some research for one of my assignments for like a personal essay. And I found out that dual immersion programs were like banned in California or, or something like that. No sabia, you guys look it up. But it was like they were kind of banned in like 1997. So I always wondered, was I in a dual immersion program and it wasn't at my school? Or was I in an English language language learning classroom? because I used to assist when I was in middle school in English language learning classrooms and the structure was the same as my K through um through second grade in a, in um Azusa but anyways I remember it similar to you than they did English because when I got to third grade um I started learning English more where it was like instead of predominantly Spanish curriculum it was now predominantly English curriculum were a little bit of Spanish curriculum so they still spoke to you Spanish my teacher was still bilingual but the curriculum now was co taught completely in English except during like for two hours of the day um, where they taught you in Spanish and it was to continue to develop your writing and reading skills in Spanish so I moved to Visalia in December of my first semester in third grade um, so I start my second semester in Visalia. My mom tells the district, I need my daughter to be in a bilingual classroom. They tell her, girl, we don't got those here. Um, you might want to send her to a different school. And she was like, well, this is the school my daughter belongs to. My mom was, is a working mom. So we had to walk to school since we moved. She only stayed with us for like two weeks. She took vacation, vacation from work. And then we walked to school for the rest of my K-12 life. Um, and I literally live like 10 minute walk, 10 minute walk from my elementary school. Um, so I would walk there, but I remember my first day of school, I went, they said that they were going to get me a translator. The translator was a year older than me. And I was placed in a, in a combination classroom. So it was where like all the third grade classroom, all the third grade classes basically were already at capacity. So they added the extra third graders into a fourth grade class and the teacher taught the fourth grade curriculum, but assigned third grade curriculum to third graders. So they made it to my mom. They presented it as like, your daughter's advanced, you know, like she got into a combination classroom, but now looking at, looking at it, older understanding, I'm pretty sure it was for the reason that the other classrooms were at capacity. So this student was my translator for the rest of the academic year. But here's the catch. I remember not being able to communicate. And I remember the teacher saying that she wasn't gonna listen to what I had to say until I tried speaking in English. So I'm gonna just say that that's a lot of responsibility on another student in that grade mm -hmm. translating. They're putting the responsibilities on a kid. Are you kidding me? Like no, dude. The school system is just crazy. Like I just wonder yeah. why they have to stop the funding for the bilingual class. I know that I had heard from my school that the lady that was in charge of funding the program, I believe she moved schools or she just changed jobs, but that's a lot on you too, like mm -hmm. on us to like, that's- To serve I, as translators as children, right? Huh? 
to serve as, it's a lot to serve as translators as children. And then they have the audacity to tell us that we are worthless because that's, we're bilingual. That's what, they were, that's what they were basically implying when they're saying, oh, Marisol, do, say, it in, say it in English. Mm -hmm. And me, you have like being able to say two languages. Mm -hmm. Being able to code switch, like, oh, girl. That's yeah. terrifying. I, that's just another thing I want to comment on. I just remember, I think maybe that's what instilled the fear of presentations on me or us. I don't know if you've had this experience. Just because we were taught to present when we barely knew English. Mm -hmm. So that mm -hmm. carried on with us. Yes. Maybe we don't know English. Leave us alone. I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm still faking it. I'm still faking it. I fake my American accent, girl. <laughs> Dude. But, and I think yeah. it, it just always depends like who's around. Like my accent will come out depending on if there's other mm -hmm. Spanish speakers. I don't know, it just comes mm -hmm. out randomly, but yeah. we're gonna but always own our um, mm -hmm. accent. <laughs> yeah. From us. <laughs> um, I was gonna say that, honestly, like, I feel like there's, I do take on this like English accent because I know I have an accent. So I feel like there was one time where like last semester I had to record something for school and I was recording in front of my sister and she was like, ew, why are you talking like that? And I was like, what do you mean? And then she was like, like, why are you talking like that? And I was like, this is how I talk at school. And in Spanish, in, in my house, I always be like, girl, dude, you know, like always talking like, kind of like code switching and kind of talking more with my accent, more emphasized because I feel like that comes out naturally. Like, I feel like I just have a thick accent, but I feel like at school, I kind of go like, okay, school mode. I'm going to go into the space and I have to enunciate every single letter because I'm in a space full of white people and I don't want to be, like, I'm already the Latina. I'm already the dark Latina in the room. Now I'm going to be the Latina, dark Latina with the accent, you know? We just, we think that if our accent isn't there, we're going to be approved of. Yeah. So I do, I have noticed that. I still find myself like in academic spaces, still being, putting on this, like, almost like checking, but more like, I always feel like I'm a radio. Like, I'm like, okay, why are you to the American, to the American spaces? Yeah, like, okay, let's you know? sit down. I don't know. It's just crazy how we have yeah. to switch on and off. Yeah. Yeah, this makes me think about our, our conversation that we were having earlier about our names because it was in that classroom when I moved that my name got switched from Marisol to Marisol. Um, first day, girl. Okay, imagine me as a little eight-year-old. I think I was eight. I was eight years old. My mom walking me to my classroom and me telling her, mommy, mommy, they just like me. Like, I don't know anyone. I don't want to be here. Like, they're all looking at me weird. And the teacher, and I think this is why I was afraid, like, to the point where I felt like my, I would have a heart attack when I would present as a teen. But I think literally this is where it comes from. The teacher told me to go to the front of the classroom when I walked into the room and she said to introduce myself. I only knew, hi, my name is, I am eight years old, I am Mexican. 
Um, so I go up and I say that, hi, my name is Marisol. Um, I am eight years old. I live in Los Angeles. I live now by Celia. I see no más, like choppy English. And the teacher, oh, a kid raises his hand. Never gonna forget that little face. Ya no me acuerdo su nombre. But he raises his hand and he says, what's your name again? And I say, Marisol. And the teacher's like, oh, honey, we can't pronounce that. You said Marisol? And I said, no, Marisol. And then she was like, okay, we, we're going to try to say Marisol, okay? And I was like, okay. And I do not know how to describe it, but I remember that's what made me start crying. And my mom was like, no llores. Like, it's a new school. You're going to make new friends. But I remember it was because I was like, I don't, I feel like I didn't belong. At the time, I didn't know that. But in that moment, like now looking back, like it's an adult reflecting, I was like, it was that thing that I was like, I don't belong here. This isn't, this isn't a place for me. How am I going to get through life going to schools like this that they can't say my name? But a huge, like, um, like impactful moment in my life. It's crazy to think about it now. But I know you were mentioning something similar with your name earlier. No, girl, I am just imagining that because I don't even remember, but I think it just happens where they, people will just make our name, a, like the way that they say our name, they just do it to their convenience, the easier way. Mm -hmm. is like that teacher, how she said your name like that. Yeah. She was doing it for her convenience. Like that's. Yeah. But well, you know, your, at, your cost, cosa. at the cost of your comfortability, that's your identity. Mm -hmm. Like that's mm -hmm. big, especially because you had just moved here. I know. And that kind of led me to like shelter myself. So it did, it did shape a lot of my like childhood in terms of education. Right. And I feel like as a teacher, you see it like, I'm helping this student. This, if she's going to be in this environment, she needs to learn how to like succeed. But I'm like, why not use, this is why we need more representation in education. This is why we need teachers of color. And that's why I'm a huge advocate for that. Um, not only for my own personal experience, but also for all the other students I've encountered. But just thinking about like, why not amplify and uplift the skills that I have and the talents that I have for being bilingual Instead, they shut it down and they silenced me and they were just like, that's not good enough. That's not appropriate here. You know, um, I, I think we have very similar experiences with elementary school. Um, but I think, I think the only reason why I was able to feel a little bit more confident in that switch was because of my third grade teacher. She was like, a uh, second mom to me she has the same name as my mom and I remember I would go in the during the summer help her redecorate her classroom like I was like one of her daughters because she also knew Spanish so mm -hmm. I think if it wasn't because of her I wouldn't have felt comfortable like there was a Spanish teacher in kinder um but I wasn't like close to her mm -hmm. I, I don't know it was just I think she did helped me a lot to adjust even though I only had her for that grade it was like mm -hmm. she made an impact on me I was just telling Marisol that with my name 
I'm always used to hearing people say Maritza or Marissa, but they have to say it in English. And then we were just saying that sometimes we do correct people, but sometimes it's exhausting. But we were saying, why is it exhausting if it's our identity? Why are we conforming? Mm -hmm. And that's mm -hmm. we're trying to make them feel comfortable, but at the cost of our comfortability and yep. losing our identity. And it's, yep. always, it's always awkward, even though we're already at the age that we are. Like mm -hmm. over the years, it's just always, it just feels weird to correct people. Like there's days where I'm like, yeah, I'm not gonna step down. I'm a, I'm a correct them. Mm -hmm. Like this is my name. And then sometimes I'm like, by the second time that they try, I'm just like, forget it. It's fine. I know my name. That's enough. <laughs> Which is kind of bad. Mm -hmm. It's hard to stand up and tell them because of how long we went without having a voice to stand up for yeah. ourselves and our name. Something mm -hmm. as simple as our name when other people. Uh, some other people never experience this. It's the whole like name thing. It's just something that we always encounter. And I think we're getting more comfortable as time goes by just to actually correct people because yeah. why should we be conforming to the way they say our name? We're not butchering their names. So why should they be yeah. like ours just because it's not a common name? Yeah, especially if at the end of the day, we're the ones walking away feeling a certain feeling negatively about ourselves and they're not walking away like that how many times have people corrected you because you say a word wrong yeah telling you how to pronounce it over and over making you feel like crap because you can't say a word so we touched on a lot of our identity in this episode and i'm pretty sure a lot of y'all can relate so just want to thank y'all for listening and just want to remind all you women that it is our day and our lifetime just to continue to uplift each other and everything that makes positive change. Um, even just with people that you know, mm -hmm. um, that's where you pave the way and I just love like all the movements that we're making and being part of that are making things better and finding our voices within friends that we meet, like me and Marisol, I met her. Uh, the valley, you know, it gets very windy here. There's a, it's a bowl. So the winds just brought us together and here yes, we are. Yes, I love that. Now we're talking it up about everything and anything. <laughs> I do want to, I want to end it with, um, there's something I always tell myself whenever I feel like I focus on the, all the injustices I face, um, and I feel like, how do I get out of this? Every time I feel stuck, I always tell myself, within me, I carry the strength of not only myself and the fact that I have survived this and continue to thrive and succeed despite this, but I also carry the strength of all the women in my line, like my mom, my sisters, all the women that have empowered me and impacted my life, like friends, colleagues, my great grandmother, my grandmothers, um, I carry all of their strength within me. So every time I feel like I can't no more, I remind myself, like, you have that in you. Keep going, keep I fighting. So thank you again, everyone, for coming. 
for coming, for joining us, <laughs> for joining us this evening. Um, and stay tuned for next week's episode. We're going to be bringing more and more experiences about women of color in the Central Valley. Thank you, everyone. Thank you.